Welcome to In the Queue. I am your host, Andrew. I am your other host, Phil. And we're here today to talk to you, as usual, about movies. That's right. That's what we do. And uh, before we get started talking to you about Bad Teacher, which was yet another one of our listener requests, mm-hmm. off of a list that we've been sort of working on uh, from one particular listener, before we get to that, we're going to talk to you about how you can find us. You can find us on the web at www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. And there you can find our blog and all of the postings of all of our uh, podcasts. And you can participate in the conversation by posting comments yeah. on that blog. There is indeed a conversation happening on that blog as well. I mean, we can totally... There is. On there's various different films. There's some stuff going on there worth checking out. Additionally, you can find us on Facebook at In the Q. That's Q spelled out, Q-U-E-U-E. Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And you can also find us on iTunes uh, searching for the same thing. You will find all of our episodes. We're almost up to 30 episodes. I think this is our 30th episode, actually. Oh, wow. This is cause for a celebration. Yeah, 30. Let's The big three zero. Let's review a stunningly mediocre film to celebrate. <laughs> I think it's less than mediocre. <laughs> I think it's a lot less. Well, yeah, I'm just being generous. Yeah, so we encourage you to find us uh, on iTunes, Facebook, and check out our website. You have no excuse uh, not to. I just gave you three no different excuse. venues. Three different ways to do it. All, right. All free. So without any further ado, we're going to talk to you about Bad Teacher. This was on the list that we have mentioned in a couple of our past episodes. We did an episode on Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Which uh, we overall, I think, felt fairly positively about, although I had some caveats I, about I believe, my admiration for the film. I believe, you, you, Andrew, you said that um, everything that was not a battle scene was garbage. Yeah, but the things that were battle scenes are masterpieces. So where does that leave it? It leaves it right in the middle, doesn't it? Okay, fine. I thought it was better than, than, than Andrew, I guess, but we, we have some appreciation for it overall. It's true. It's true. Uh, and then uh, we also did Your Highness, mm-hmm. <laughs> which oh, I was less than enthusiastic about, but Phil seemed to like pretty well. Yeah, I mean, Your Highness, I would definitely take that over certain other films that we might just be about to review. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, these were all from the list that Monty sent to us. Mm-hmm. He was in England and could only get uh, one film channel. That's Film 4. And these were the movies that happened to be playing. Uh, there's actually three more movies on that list, and we may eventually get to those. But we're probably going to take a little break from his list for a little while after yeah. this stinker <laughs> of a movie that we just watched. We don't want to lean too heavily towards Monty's whims here. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to talk today about Bad Teacher. Bad Teacher is a film by Jake Kasdan. Mm-hmm. came out a few years ago, 2011, and stars Cameron Diaz, Justin Timberlake, and Jason Segel in the sort of main roles. And Lucy Punch. Lucy Punch, indeed. In, in a rather prominent role, I would say. Oh, yeah. Um, even though she doesn't get any billing uh, in the film, you know, in, in on any of the posters or anything, because nobody knows who she is. Right. You know, at least she's not on the level of Cameron Diaz, Justin Timberlake, Jason Segel in terms of recognizability. But the plot of the film concerns a terrible teacher, a bad teacher, you might say. As the titular title expresses. Indeed. And I do mean Played titular. Titular, yeah. Because the the basic plot of the film uh, is so that... dumb. 
Cameron Diaz is this miserable teacher who hates her job, and all she's trying to do is land a sugar daddy. She is a gold digger of the most blatant variety yeah. and is looking for someone rich to marry so that she can be set, live off of them. Be set for life. Set for life. And the film kind of opens with her having screwed up the 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 relationship she almost she almost sealed the deal but her terrible attitude and horrible personality managed to ruin it for her mm-hmm. and so what she's doing is uh, a substitute teacher at her school played by Justin Timberlake uh, is the heir to a great watchmaking fortune yes and she wants to attract him by getting herself a boob job and get big gigantic boobs that are bigger than Pamela Anderson's and that will win him over. Surely, and once she has won him over, it's she's set. Ching, yes, because surely anybody who teaches at a middle school really values fake tits above any other aspect of love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think the it's a weak it's a weak <laughs> plot. <laughs> and Jake Kasdan, I mean, his dad is Lawrence Kasdan, but he's yeah, done some good what things. The heck. What the heck? Yeah. I don't even I don't know where to begin. Well, bad teacher, it's he gave you the premise. It's super dumb, super unbelievable. Um people do not act in realistic ways. No, not at all. Um and um uh, one thing that I kind of really was pissed off about and this is something that kind of ties into our review of the to-do list, which I think is a film that, you know, some of the same stuff applies here. Yeah, on when we were doing Albatross Applesauce, yeah. which is our former podcast, we did an episode uh, where we talked about the to-do list, which was an Aubrey Plaza comedy from last year. Ostensibly, yeah, it was from last year. That, that was not, we, we did not like it. Yeah, anymore. so anyway, well, the, both of these films have a similar type of device where the main female character keeps having these sporadic intermittent random interactions with some kind of male character who's kind of yes. off off not even really part of the story in this film it's Jason Siegel and they have like four or five very 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 brief interactions yep, and yep. and you can already tell after their first visit that these this these two people are being groomed to be a couple by the end of the film. Yeah, this is where it's headed. It's clear that that's where it's headed. And and it's so unfreaking believable too when it does happen that basically I think the only way to appreciate this film and to enjoy it is to tell yourself that it's really dumb and it's fun and it's fun because it's dumb. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has an abysmal rating on IMDb. It's five point seven out of ten, uh, which is actually. Higher than I expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Considerably higher I'd than say I expected. It's a stunning achievement for everybody involved. Um, yeah. Except Lucy Punch, uh, who plays kind of like the rival of Cameron Diaz's character. You know, her, she has the worst character name in the history of mankind Amy Squirrel. Ugh. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's supposed to be funny in and of itself, and it's just not. But Lucy Punch is funny. I think she's funny. I I think she does the best she can, but 
She did the best she could in this film. You know, Andrew, she was also in another movie that we reviewed for um, Albatross Applesauce. And I, I, when I was watching Bad Teacher, I was thinking, who, what else has Lucy Punch been in? She was Anthony Hopkins' midlife crisis girlfriend in You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. Oh, wow. She was British. She had a British accent in that film. Yeah, well, I think she is British. Yes, is she, she is. She was born in London. But in this film, I thought she was – I totally bought that she was American. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That That is fascinating. I had yeah. not put that together. So she has made lots of movies and lots of projects. She was in a TV series. But I think what's special about her is that I thought she was pretty funny. And I also thought she was really sexy too. I would – I would agree with the latter uh-huh. <laughs> statement. I would not agree with the former statement. I thought I did. I did not think that she. I think she. I think it was clear that she was trying and she was uh, hamming it up and trying to lean into the role. Yeah, which was admirable. I think for a film like this that is just so terrible in every way that uh, it, it's it's hard for somebody to to make something out of it. Mm-hmm. So it was certainly appreciated that she was doing her best. But I don't think she succeeded. At least not for me. I, I don't think that she succeeded in in what sense? Would you say in being funny? Oh, at all? Not at all. No, I don't. Oh wow. Well, I was not the only the only person that I thought was genuinely funny in this film, and I actually really thought was quite good, was Jason Segel. Really? Wow. I yeah. I'm I thought he was excellent. I thought he was great. I thought he knew the just the right tone to bring to it. Uh-huh. Like he he was sort of the only person that was aware of like what needed to be done in this film. And he was kind of doing it alone by himself out there (laughs) in the the world of the movie. Um, And those little short scenes that he has, I thought were really quite entertaining, quite fun and everything except for the the closing scene of the film, which, which I, (laughs) I thought was, if you see the film, you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, that that's, um, that is super interesting. I thought you would you would say somebody like John Michael Higgins or some some like he was fine. I mean, you know, he's the he's the principal. Yeah, he was the principal, and he he played that role. It, it was a lot of you know, it was a lot of comedic character actors. Yes. that were in this film who were basically just phoning it in. That is why... They, they were doing the exact things that we've seen them do a million times, but not even with the gusto or the... the yeah, the verve. The verve that they have done in the past. Well, that's why perhaps this film was an influence on the to-do list, because there's so many things that these two stinkers have in common. And yeah. one of them is what we just said about, you know, talented comedians who do character work being totally underused. Yeah, uh, Tom, absolutely. Thomas Lennon is, for example... Yeah. Or um, uh, the the Upright Citizens Brigade veteran who played Lincoln. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, Matt Besser. Matt Besser, yeah. 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 Yeah, which it's like he's in the movie for all of two minutes maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's I guess he's doing what he can, but it it just seems so lethargic. Everybody, everybody in this movie seems so lethargic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Not a whole lot to recommend, I guess. But one one thing about the the type of humor that this movie evokes or invokes or whatever sum, yeah, summons yeah. Um, is this kind of rapid fire series of profane half jokes that are over before they begin. Yeah, They're just kind of there's no longer 
does there seem to be, at least in the movies that we're watching for this podcast, there no longer seems to be the type of comedy where it's like a situation where there's something beyond just one person spouting obscenities. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I've long lamented the death of the sitcom. And if you really want to get into it, I can tell you my whole theory about like why The Simpsons became a terrible show after a certain point and how it's because they stopped doing situational comedy. Uh-huh. And the comedy started to uh, be random in the, a la Family Guy or, or something like yeah. that. Uh, whereas prior to that, the characters could be relied upon to react in particular ways. And the situation is what made it funny because the situation placed them in a context that made it humorous to see them. Right, because it's based in reality. Exist. Right, because it's based in reality. But when, you, when you're writing sort of joke to joke and those jokes are weak to begin with and it's not, you know, the Marx Brothers or something where, like, you know, <laughs> they thrive on just like boom, 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 nailing out jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, I know I'm going back a little ways and it's vaudeville. So before it might even time. be com- but – uh, but, well, let's say Mel Brooks, right, uh, a little more recent, um, you know, just hitting hitting joke after joke after joke. Uh-huh. But the jokes are so good that it – and the pacing is so or good. Or what, uh, what we were talking about with Your Highness about Love and Death, the Woody Allen film. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a total joke after joke um, conceit hung on this existential uh, framework. Right. But it doesn't even necessarily need the existential framework. I no, mean something no, no. like – Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles or something like that. Those are those don't have any deep exploration of of the human condition that they're worried about. They're just interested in telling mm-hmm. a funny story and doing it well. Um, but this this sort of film doesn't do that at all. It just it spits out jokes, but they're half realized, half hearted jokes, as you said, that are over before they even begin. Mm-hmm. They they telegraph every joke. You see everything coming from a mile away. Yeah, and and. Nothing makes you laugh because there's nothing. I mean, because there's no wit. There's a there's a sight gag in this film that isn't funny at all. That involves poison ivy and an apple that that is so heavy handed in the in the the way that they get around to the sight gag. Like the the there's a whole sequence where she's rubbing an apple on her face and it's just absurd and stupid. It's just dumb and 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 you could make the argument that it it. Uh, this is Lucy Punch's character. Uh-huh. You can make the argument it's a squirrel. You can make the ar- Ms. Squirrel, I guess. You can make the argument that she, that's part of her character is that she would do something like that. But that's pretty weak. That's, it's pretty weak because it's, it, the reason that she does it is so clearly just so we can get to this stupid sight gag. Yeah. Instead of having it flow from the situation and flow from her character and seem natural where, you know, if something like that happens in a good comedy, the, sight gag is the payoff because we we may know it's coming we may know you know we may cringe at the idea of the person getting into the situation that allows for the sight gag uh-huh. when the sight gag comes it's the big payoff because the movie did the work to help us to set laugh. it up yeah and mel brooks movies this are movie really good that. at that yeah mel, mel brooks great. in particular they really do a good job of setting up the 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 beginning the beginnings of the joke and then the payoff that that happens afterwards and I feel like a lot of that situational comedy can be found in the classic sitcoms and the classic yeah. sketch comedy shows like Carol Burnett or you know or even since we're talking about decades past uh, your show of shows I mean yeah. there's there's a whole there was a whole world of comedy in yesteryear that 
did not even depend on foul language or or crudeness or yeah. or, you or, know, or, or those... I mean even even the the sitcoms of the eighties and the nineties, you know the the TGIF stuff on on ABC or the that NBC killer lineup like uh, of you know like uh, Cheers and uh, Frasier and Friends and you know all those things they they do the work mm-hmm. to to earn the the payoffs. And this actually kind of makes me think about something a little bit tangential, but but related yeah. as well, which is if uh, if comedy is all about grossing us out and cringing is the new laughter, and it's not mm-hmm. so important if something that makes you laugh. What's important is that it gets some kind of a reaction out of you, whether it's like a groan or or whatever, or a belch or a fart or whatever they think might happen it reminds me of kind of a trend that's happening in in the genre of horror where it's no longer about something suspenseful or frightening it's about something that's fucking gross and 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 just makes you cringe well i think i think it's a misappropriation of uh we we were talking about this a little bit uh, uh a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh filmmakers who have grown up on the movies of yesteryear and not understood why those movies were good. You know, they haven't understood what, what made those films good in the first place. So when they do these remakes or these, or these reboots or these updates of films, mm-hmm. um, they end up being weak and uninteresting because they didn't understand what made the film good in the first place. They didn't understand the storytelling. They just understood the tropes and the, the right. mechanical devices that are being used. I think that's the same thing with horror, as you're talking about, and with comedy. They mm-hmm. understand the motions and they go through the motions of what they think it is. But, like, you know, there's plenty of great gross-out comedies that have existed over the years that are really, really quite good. I mean, you think of something like There's Something About Mary. Like, that's a really great gross-out comedy, but it does the work to earn those jokes. I mean, there's the there's the sight gag of the uh, the when he's got his junk stuck in his zipper, right? Yeah. And they do the they do the work of like building up the scenario and mm-hmm. it has this sort of slow build and then when they finally get to like the the moment before they're showing it, they describe it and they, you know there's a great line, how'd you get the beans above the frame? <laughs> and 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 it's, you yeah, you actually based. you imagine it in your mind and your the whole thing is like played out for you and then they hit you with the sight gag right. and it's gross and it's dumb but it's funny as hell because they've they've worked for it they've yeah, they've, they've brought the you along aspect. yeah yeah I mean, but but the thing about that is like with with bad teacher sorry I interrupted you but no no uh, it's fine if you if you look at bad teacher you can tell that when they were writing the script they were thinking okay such and such says this and now yeah. somebody says something funny in response like Okay, so the principal just set up this plot point, so now um, Amy Squirrel says something funny in relation to it. And it's no longer about, like, what, what does Amy's character say? What does Amy want to right. say? What, what in this scenario would she believably say? It's all about thinking, okay, this has to be a joke. Now this person has to say a joke. And then yep. it's a terrible way to write. Um, it's it's I, almost like Mad Libs, you know. It's almost like uh, yeah, like cinematic Mad Libs. Cinematic Mad Libs, yeah. They're just they're like, okay, now we need punchline give me a punchline give me a punchline write it in and then they throw a movie together and they're like well that sort of worked you know I guess. Way, that reminds me of like a funny movie might be like a 1950s style 
writer's lab where everybody's typing away at their typewriters and chain smoking and like we gotta come up with more jokes for bad teacher you give me a joke say something that's funny and then he like pulls the paper out of the typewriter and reads it what this is terrible (laughs) except they never say this is terrible it seems like they said oh that's great yeah print it yeah put it in the paper all right oscar winning that goes right in the script let's make this into an oscar winning film this will be the greatest comedy ever to come along in the last 50 years Exactly. See? Yeah. It's depressing. <laughs> it was a dumb, dumb, bad movie without a doubt. Um, I watched the unrated version. Did you watch that one? I, yeah, I think so. It's, it's, I it can be tell hard to what, tell. I, I couldn't tell what would have been cut. I mean, there was barely any nudity in the film, so I can't figure that it was the nudity. Might have been some of the language. It might have been some of the language, but it really didn't seem, I mean, okay, let's get real. Unrated cuts anymore are just ways to sell DVDs, DVDs, or Blu-rays, or you know copies of, of of it on iTunes, right? Yeah, that's the only reason that they're unrated. They're not. They intentionally cut out two or three minutes worth of a film mm-hmm. that that the MPAA isn't forcing them to cut out in order to keep you know an R rating. Nobody's being forced to keep stuff out. They're intentionally cutting it out so that they can release something that they say is unrated because they never ran it by the NPAA, which just means that they could just put an unrated label on it. I think the most egregious example of that and sort of showing you the the lows that that Hollywood is stooping towards is with yeah. a, the sequel to Anchorman, which came out several months ago as an R-rated film. And then yep. just a couple months ago, it's re-released as the version you've never seen before with all the right. the extra extra... 487 new jokes or something like that. Yeah, whatever. It's almost like it's people are like in line for the movie. Well, I might see the new Anchorman if it had 489 new jokes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's only got 487, so I'll go it's, watch. It's a really heaven, it's heaven a is crass cool. marketing ploy. I have to I, – I can't believe that there is good statistical evidence to – back up the assertion that that actually sells more stuff. But it's different. It's it's not something that has been around in our lifetime, you know? Well, in the early days of director's cuts and unrated versions and stuff like that, it was legitimate editing that had been done to things. You know, it was things like Blade Runner, I remember being the first, like, real director's cut. That's what and I was that was a say. real director's cut. It was, it was actually it, it mangled was, by the studio and turned into a terrible movie. Yeah, drastically different. Were, drastically different with the horrible voiceover narration from Harrison Ford, this laconic just mess of a voiceover that really makes the story really weird. Then you watch the director's cut and it's a different movie entirely. That was legitimate. You look at a lot of those films from the 90s, especially the 80s and the 90s, that got director's cuts and they're drastically different. Sometimes for the worse. I remember watching the uh, Cinema Paradiso director's cut and it's like... 50 minutes longer and it makes the film unbearable. It just makes it not good. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those situations where you're like, whoa, the studio made all the right choices here. Right. But you know, yeah, I mean, so the the only other thing that I could think of is there's a completely stupid and unnecessary scene. I mean, I guess most scenes are like that in this film, but the scene where Justin Timberlake and, and Cameron Diaz, Try to try to engage in some kind of sex act, um, and it's just 
it's just uh, incredibly stupid. It's dumb. And I can't imagine that there's anything in that scene that would have had to have been removed for any reason. Uh, and can we talk just briefly for a moment about how sort of strangely morally bankrupt this film is? Yeah, good point. I, like, I, I don't... I mean, I understand if you make a film about bad people doing bad things. There's plenty of films like that that I enjoy thoroughly. Um, you know, The Godfather is a <laughs> film about bad people don't doing even, bad things. You're mentioning it in the or, same breath as bad Well, no, I'm teacher. saying, like, that's... But that is that is a film that is a great film about bad people, you know. And so it, it it's not enough to say, oh, this film is morally bankrupt because bad people are doing bad things. But the film actually seems to take a stance that what they're doing is heroic or even good. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the conclusion of the film is, is the closing shot of this film is, was baffling to me. Completely baffling. I don't, I don't understand it. It, it. Well, you mean because when Cameron Diaz, uh, has her, her character arc, she becomes the guidance counselor of the school. Yeah. Other than that being like a, uh, yet again, another sort of sight gag to like put a button on the end of the film. I don't understand. Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, that whole ending makes zero sense because she she realizes <laughs> she be, she wants to be a teacher. She wants the job or she wants to be part of the school in some way. Up until that yeah. last shot, I thought that she was a teacher. Uh, and she, she had come back because she had realized that it was rewarding after all and blah, blah, blah. Right, but then they then they try and do this gag. They're like, "Oh, wouldn't it be funny if she ended?" It's almost like the the writers' room never finished thinking about it. They they were like, "Wouldn't it be funny if she ended up as a guidance counselor?" And they were like, <laughs> "Sure, write it in, do it." <laughs> yeah, because nobody need ever was like, of... "We need to get here from somewhere. We need to actually have well, some sort of." It's like a punctuation mark at the end of the film. It's sort of like a. Uh an exclamation point at the end of a question or something. It just doesn't really but fit. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really fit. And it doesn't make any, you know, it really doesn't make sense. I, you know what I was thinking about while I was watching this, I was thinking about the movie, bad Santa, which is another bad fill in the blank movie, which is actually quite good and quite entertaining. But mm-hmm. bad Santa is more, it, it celebrates the sort of bad behavior, but it does it in like a really sort of, uh, introspective and, and, tender kind of way like it it really it has sympathy for this man who is a horrible person who's destroyed his life mm-hmm. and it doesn't paint him as a hero like his life like things don't go well for him yeah but Cameron Diaz in this film is horrible to everybody punishes the people who are really only trying to do good in the film and be true to themselves punishes them rather severely mm-hmm. and then makes out like a bandit in the end yeah, I don't understand this film. I don't understand why anybody would like this film. <laughs> well, um, I think most people don't, according to the IMDb rating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I, uh, I wonder what Monty thought of this movie. I mean, he he people. Yeah, Monty, you should let us know. Yeah, really. I mean, he's he's this has been on his list that he gave us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a real stinker. I think Andrew feels similarly. I think it's pretty clear that we both feel that way. <laughs> yeah, two thumbs down. Yeah, this is this is honestly, quite honestly, one of the worst comedies I've I've ever seen. I think. Oh wow! It's it's really genuinely that bad. I I did not laugh 
once, except when Jason Siegel was on the screen. I laughed a couple times. I chuckled when he was on screen. But the rest of the time, I was just bored by it. I mean, it was just not... Mm-hmm. It was so... Uh, lame. Just, yeah, lame, but but uh, thoughtlessly wrote. Right. You know? it, it, just, it, it was just going through the motions, but not having fun. Like, it didn't even seem like anybody was having fun making this movie. Yeah. It yeah. was weird. It was weird. Well, I don't have a hell of a lot to add. I think we uh, both feel pretty similarly about this movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that we do. I think that maybe people watch it. people who are people who are angered by this film will want to listen to our podcast and sort of get some kind of um, vicarious satisfaction about hearing us totally slam the film. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So yeah, so that's our show for Bad Teacher. Uh, yeah. Stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to be about the new Jim Jarmusch film called Only Lovers Left Alive. Which is getting rave reviews, or at least some rave reviews. Is it some? Well, yeah, it's uh, about vampires, uh, played by Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. I yes. think Tilda Swinton playing a vampire is one of the best ideas in recent cinema. <laughs> I think it was a foregone conclusion that it would eventually happen. <laughs> <laughs> it had to, right? It's, it's amazing it took this long, really. Yeah, that's that's sort of how I felt about it. <laughs> but I'm excited because this does look like a good movie. I like the premise. It does. And I Mia like, Wasikowska's in it, and she's great. I like James Jarmusch, and he hasn't made a movie that I particularly like that much for a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see... the Broken Flowers is the last one I really loved. I like that one. Even that one, though, kind of was borderline. But I didn't see the, the one he made before the... Tilda Swinton was in that one, too. I don't remember yep. what it was called. But anyway, so we're going to see Only Lovers Left Alive and infect you with our opinions. We'll see you next time. See you then. <laughs>